For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hello and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Here in Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul pleads with his dear Christian friends to make a greater effort to get along with one another. Developing Christian character takes work, so Paul exhorts the congregation to cooperate with God in the whole process. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Getting Into Shape. Heavenly Father, now we just pause and just kind of ask you for your help to collect our thoughts, Lord, and to focus our minds where they should be uh, on you, Lord Jesus Christ, and on the Holy Spirit's effort to open our eyes to hear what the uh, still small voice of your Spirit is saying through your wonderful word, that we might be blessed and that it might go well with us if we uh, put these words to practice. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was riding my bike, as I like to do almost uh, every day in summer, and actually, it was yesterday, and I was on my way here, and I was along the, the bike path, and uh, it was already quite warm, and I saw a sight that I have not seen before. Uh, about 20 people were up ahead on the bike path, and uh, I just saw them every few feet kind of falling down and doing something. Oh, they were uh, falling down to do push-ups, right? And so uh, one dude, uh, kind of a drill sergeant, kind of guy like a young, angry Bruce Willis on, on steroids, or bar- barking out the command. So as I got closer, I figured, you know, it's probably a get-in-shape um, boot camp uh, where you get desperate with yourself and you just sign yourself up you know, and force yourself into something that sometimes you regret doing. Um, And certainly, as I glided by on my bike, I certainly saw faces that looked like perhaps they regretted what they had gotten themselves into. He's be yelling. Oh, he was not happy with them. He's like, you know, up in the air, and these kettlebells were flying above their heads, you know. Kettlebells. It's, uh, it's big enough for me to just be out there early morning on the bike trail doing push-ups and running and push-ups and running and to bring cowbells with you, you know, I think that's over the top personally. But, you know, and they'll look on some of their faces. I'm gliding by and they're like, help. And, I, and I'm like, I would like to help you, but I'm off to Starbucks to get a double ice shot. Woo. <laughs> Nothing like the cool breeze, and so, yeah. Now, no doubt some of them were enjoying it, <laughs> and others were clearly, clearly had mixed feelings, and I started thinking, it is. That's how I have about working out and exercising. You know, I really enjoy it once I get there, and especially when I stop. Um, but, and you feel better, and you just, it's, it's really a wonderful thing. However, you know, the thought of it as a daily routine uh, sometimes is less than appealing, shall we put it that way. So uh, interesting timing for me here, Philippians 2, because we're, uh, the Philippians are going to get a call to work out. And really, the word in the Greek is really akin to exercise that faith, discipline 
discipline uh, yourself in the, in the faith. Now, what had happened at Calvary Chapel Philippi, as we like to jokingly call it, uh, is the church had gotten flabby in their faith, uh, unhealthy in their relationships, very weak Christian devotion. And how that was manifesting was a lot of bickering and some people not talking to other people, a lot of people getting their feelings hurt, a lot of people bossing people around, telling them how to run the church and all of this or uh, whatever was going on in their minds. So a lot of bickering, disunity, division. And, you know, as the Lord Jesus said, anything divided against itself is, is just going to be a disaster and fall apart. A house divided uh, against itself shall fall, right? And so, uh, you know, no church, no work of God, no Christian life will ever fare well under self-centered attitudes that just bring arrogance and pride. So the Holy Spirit is going to say through the Apostle Paul to this bunch of, church, the bunch of people who are acting sort of immature and self-centered, listen, listen up. Um, you need to uh, get in shape. So let's see the exhortation where we have left off. He'll say, therefore, my dear friends, uh, as you have always obeyed the Lord, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Verse 16, as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So just a beautiful text to consider. That's going to be our, our morning uh, reflection there and to glean and to walk through and see what we can learn um, a call, really, to get in shape, really, to tighten things up, to be effective and productive uh, for our Lord Jesus Christ, to be a healthy expression of God's love. After all, we are called his ambassadors. That's incredible. Second Corinthians chapter uh, 5. We are ambassadors for Christ. We represent the living God. We represent the gospel. And so we got to have it together because there's a lot riding on the line. People need to see the line. Thank you, Marianne, for that amen. <laughs> now, we have just been told, you know, there's wherever you see a therefore, you have to ask yourself why it's therefore. And so it's therefore a good reason. We had just been told about the Lord Jesus Christ and what his mindset was. He just poured out his life, even though he's equal to God. Equal to God came not to be served, but to serve and to empty himself for others so that others might benefit. And he said, you got to let that mindset be in you, right? Because you're connected to him. You're going to live that way. And so here's a response to that exhortation. He's saying, if you are going to live as humbly and other-centered as Christ, then let me give you three things, three ideas in your text, in our text this morning, that will help you to do that. 
to inspire you to do that, really. So really in the first couple of verses, I say, work out, work hard, exercise, discipline, you're, cooperate with the Holy Spirit. So for, first we'll see working out, uh, verses 12 and 13. And then in 14 and 15, I see shine bright, just shine bright. Because when you've got it right on the inside, outwardly you will shine and do what God has, has com- created you to be. Light for other people to see and come and be saved. It's not just about you and, and fire insurance. It's, it's about you, fire insurance, and a new life, and uh, that others might see God's work in you, and they themselves get the fire insurance and a new life. Amen? And then, thirdly, uh, give it your all. Just this beautiful picture, just Jewish Judaism um, ritual, uh, called a drink offering. It's just, just, just give it your all. Pour out. Pour out. He poured out for you. you know. So really, that's the summation of where we're going. Um, it's not just the right thing to do, these things, because for the sake of this is what we're supposed to be doing, it's the remedy to all their squabbling and petty problems in the congregation. And so uh, we're going to jump in now and go to God's gym. The first point is uh, work out your salvation. Uh, so let's isolate those first two verses uh, for point number one. So we begin uh, with the Christian's obligation uh, to, uh, for obedience to the Lord. Now, acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord, listen to the wording of this. Acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord really obligates the believer to obedience. So when you say, as is the catchphrase of Christianity, the passcode, Jesus is Lord, right? You're, you're saying he's my Lord and I obey him because he is Lord, right? And so that's sort of a no-brainer, you know? Uh, o- o- obedience is inherent in the title of Lord. So the Lord saying to his disciples there in the Gospels, why are you calling me Lord, Lord? You're always slinging around the word Lord, 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 and then don't do what I say. Like, that's just hilarious. I mean, I, I find Jesus' um, genius of communicating just fascinating. Why are you always saying Lord this, Lord that, Lord, Lord, Lord? Does this, should this ring a bell to you? The word, do you understand what the word Lord means? So when you start a prayer, Lord, what does that imply for you? An obedient heart in some things? You know, you don't tell your wife, you know, I've been 98% faithful to you. You know, you really don't do that, amen? amen. Unless some of you do. <laughs> yeah, 98% faithful is adultery. Right? Right. And so, yeah, but Lord, 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 Lord. He's like, please, call me Lord, because I am, and then follow through with obedience. You know, it's the earmark of Christianity. John 14, 23 says, anyone who loves me will obey my commands. First John 2, 4, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. So he's saying, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed the Lord, uh, do so when I'm there and when I'm not there. You know, so just business as usual. So he's saying, 
you know, when I'm around and when I'm not around. He's the founding pastor. They love him. He's very gifted, obviously. He wrote 13 of the New Testament books. Come on, there's nobody like the Apostle Paul. He's a uniquely gifted guy. So it was rather easy to when he showed up and when he was on his various visits, first of all, his founding pastor. There's nothing like a founding pastor for relationship, right? And then second of all, he's kind of uniquely gifted. And so when Paul's around, obeying Christ was kind of a little bit easier than listening to somebody who who wasn't as uniquely gifted or uh, his life example. So his friendship face-to-face with Paul, all of these things, uh, watching his life lived before, made it easy to obey God. So, you know, and then he's saying, how much more when I'm not there? But see, when he was not there, there was, uh, what was happening? What was happening? Well, Paul's not around. And you know, the, the preaching isn't as dynamic, you know, and he's not there and I'm not really feeling accountable to the apostle Paul. And I'm just kind of, you know, they let their devotion to Christ go down a couple notches because Paul wasn't there and somebody was not exactly like Paul. And that's sad, but that happens uh, all the time. So he says, Paul's, uh, you know, listen, there's an inside joke among pastors. I'll let you in on it. (laughs) You never are supposed to tell the congregation when you're not in the pulpit. All right, why? Because the weak ones will not come. They won't come. That's just the way it is. Um, uh, and, and so uh, they're, these people are pastor dependent, all right? So uh, they're, sadly, <laughs> sadly, their attendance and their participation is really conditional on who's in the pulpit, not who's on the throne in heaven. Okay, so I'll come with my offering. I'll come and sing. I'll come and help and support. I'll come and be a part of things if the regular guy who I like, I find him funny, I I get it when he talks to me, but if he's just going to fill some, you know, the associate pastor or somebody else who's less, you know, dynamic in the pulpit, forget it. All bets are off. I'm staying home. I'm on the couch. It's a nice recreational day. And so what happens is there's less singing, less support, less greeting, less enthusiasm, because why? Because you're codependent on what you get out of the service and you're making your decisions as a Christian based on what you get instead of obedience to God. Whether there's nobody in the pulpit or not, I show up, I'm a part of the work of God going on there, right? So Paul's, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) There's two of you now and I'm just so happy. See you both. Now, isn't it more necessary, Paul's saying, I just love how he corrects, he's saying, well, of course. Well, of course, when I'm gone, anybody who's reasoning correctly would want to, in my slack, and for the sake of the work of God, wouldn't you more feel like you should, oh, I gotta be there because the main guy's not there and there's a little bit of a momentum that's gonna be lost, but it's not gonna be lost because of me not being there, right? So he says, uh, how much more so if I'm not going to be there? Now, coincidentally and quite fitting, I am not going to be in the pulpit next Sunday. Uh, now, <laughs> now <laughs> no, no, why am I telling you? Testing, one, two, three. Uh, all right. 
Uh, you guys could, could ju just stick to yourself, whatever. You know, nobody will ever know. Or, or, or you're thinking, oh my gosh, it's the one Sunday that I'm planning to go somewhere and everybody's going to think, nah. yeah, no, no. Listen, Whew, I had too much coffee this morning. I <laughs> just need to just take a breath. All right. Now, about next week. Oh, a very, very difficult memorial service for me to do in Los Angeles. I covet your prayers. Very difficult. Need I not go on? Okay. So it's a memorial service. I need your prayers. And uh, it would be nice if you showed up here. All right, moving on. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> All right. So yeah, when I'm with you, when and not, you're always, uh, so he's saying, uh, work out, continue to do what we do. Work out your salvation. We're called disciples. The word discipline is involved in learning. It means to learn to discipline yourself in following Christ, right? So then he gives you the, he qualifies how to work out your salvation uh, with fear and trembling. And then he gives you the reason for the fear and trembling. First, what does it mean to work out your salvation? Well, it doesn't mean work for your salvation. It means work out what God has already listened to me freely put in. He is not speaking to the world. He is speaking to Christians who are already saved. Now he says, because you freely got saved through faith alone, grace plus nothing, now that God has deposited that gift of life in you, you are to cooperate with him. Uh, Charles Spurgeon. Some professors of, in seminaries appear to somehow have acquired the notion that the grace of God is kind of an opium with which men drug themselves into slumber and their passion for strong uh, doses of sleepy doctrine grows with that which it feeds on. God works in us, they say, therefore there's nothing for us to do. Bad reasoning, and he says false conclusion. God works, says the text, therefore we must work out because God has worked in. All right, so that's the idea, that he has deposited in seed form everything we need to be and should be. He has predestined you and me to become like Christ, as loving, as patient, as kind, as obedient as God the Son. Now, that will take some work on our part to cooperate with the work that God has done. I've got three scriptures that really show us how to do that. Well... Therefore, work at putting to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, <laughs> idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God's coming. You used to live like this, uh, but now you must rid yourself. That's work. This is work. Identify these things, get rid of them. That's work. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Done with that. So you're, you're going to have to work and cooperate with God to get rid of this stuff. Don't lie to each other. You've taken off that old person and you've put on a new person who's being renewed. Now, that's the negative. Here's the positive work that we do. 
Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, work at clothing yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The folks, that is work. That is going to, to the gym. Talk about kettlebells flying, uh, uh, spiritually speaking. Work at bearing with each other and forgiving one another. Who? <laughs> it is such work to just let an offense go to give somebody else grace. We want the grace. We want forgiveness. We want mercy. But how about the person who just kind of gave us a hard time, made life difficult for us? That's work. And that's what working out your salvation means. It's all in there. If, you were, if you're saved and, and God forbid something happened to you today, you're with the Lord. You, you don't have to do anything else. It's done in that sense. But what's not done is the character of Christ, the maturity that we're supposed to grow up into. So how are we supposed to do all of this? I've got a slide that has three different ideas on it. See if you see what we're saying. If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. And I love this, what he said, Paul says about himself. We proclaim Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, striving with all his energy, working powerfully within me. There it is. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Really, it can be a life verse. It just shows you the divine sovereignty on one side of the coin and human responsibility on the other. The Bible doesn't take very much time to explain that. It just expects it and just lays it out and says, this is the way it is. God's working and you're working and you come together and cooperate together. You see, that's what needs to happen there. And we do it by, that's what's called working out. Now, fear and trembling, you can go back to the verse, thank you. Fear and trembling, and fear, this is not the fear of hell or damnation. Um, it's just awe-filled reverence because he says, hey, it's God inside of you. That prompting, that will, that performance of that deed it's the Lord Almighty who spoke and the universe leapt into existence. That's something to think about. So yeah, fear in the, in trembling, not in the trembling of as, an, uh, uh, an encount, uh, as a guilty sinner. Those days are over. Trembling in the, in the form of, have you ever gotten the heebie-jeebies when you think about you know, eternity and God and wow, how did this happen to me? And then there, you get sort of a, a brush with a closeness with God. It comes in seasons. It doesn't, you don't always feel that way. But once in a while, I'll be in worship and it's like, whoa, I don't want to open my eyes. I'm going to see something that's going to slay me, you know, because he's so close, right? And you just get, whoa, God Almighty is right here, right? That's what he's talking about with some awesome fear and heebie-jeebies like, whoa, you know, it's not like your boss told you to run over to Starbucks and pick him up a cup of coffee, right? It's not like somebody's asking you to run an errand. Would you mind running an errand for me? This is God who's commanding and saying, work with me, work with me here. Oh, you shouldn't have said that. You need to say this. Oh, stop thinking like that. Change your attitude. Who's asking you to change your attitude? Not a spouse, but the savior of the world 
who holds everything together by his power. He's pleading and, and, and asking, and those prompts are coming, not from your conscience. They're coming from the God who made heaven and earth. So a little bit of horror, you know, here's what he's saying. Go to God's gym as a serious thing. It's a serious thing. I just think, you know, yeah. So moving on. So uh, work hard. There's a God-intended benefit for you when you are in shape spiritually that you will shine, shine outwardly. 14 through 16, please. Do everything without complaining. So this will lead to this sort of behavior here. Do everything without complaining or arguing that you may become blameless and pure children of God, who that's who we are, without fault in crooked and depraved or perverse, the word is, uh, generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast <clears throat> on that day of Christ that I did not run or labor uh, for nothing. And so let's take a look at that. Now, uh, so yeah, work hard and now shine bright. Now, when we have it right on the inside, uh, we are not trying to shine, but we will shine by nature of who we are. So as we're cooperating with God and the Holy Spirit's doing his work, there's more of Christ and he's more evident. And the Bible likes to use the metaphor of light to describe uh, that effect in our lives, that we make the gospel attractive by how uh, we're living. And so um, here's the, kind of the whole point of Christianity, to direct people out of darkness and not, listen, not obscure the light of escape to those who are damned in the world by our bad behavior. Bad behavior, complaining and, and arguing here is just two forms of Christian bad behavior. Uh, that will dim the light, the emergency runway for people who are stuck in death, who God's calling to light, but they can't find the landing strip because we're too busy arguing about the color of the carpet in the sanctuary. Well, I just, <laughs> we don't have that problem because whatever, you know, we, that's, I just thought of churches off the top of my head and just thought what would be the dumbest thing to argue and in came the carpet. So, yeah, while you're complaining about the music or somebody's in your seat, Paul is suggesting, or somebody didn't, yeah, that was terrible. You come to church and someone's in your regular seat. What are they thinking? Unbe unbelievable. Or someone didn't greet you, you know, the famous lady who came up to me in Petaluma, Calvary, a million years ago. Do you know how many people have not greeted me? She told me, 18, I counted them, I've counted them. And I'm like, lady, I'll tell you why nobody's greeting you right now. I didn't say that, but oh my gosh, I wanted to run for cover. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, so well, we'll, well, certainly she came to church with the wrong attitude. It's all about me, well, who's gonna greet me? Who's gonna greet me? One, two, three, oh, oh. Yeah. No. And what was she doing? She was doing the complaining and the arguing. The word complaining there means to murmur. And murmur is like one of those onomatopoeia words, you know? 
I don't know that I said that right, but anyway, that's the word. In the Greek, it's one of those words that just says, yeah, and here's what complaining means, a secret displeasure not openly avowed. Now I was thinking, what does that mean, not openly avowed? What was murmur? It's not clearly stated. It's just like, right? That's what he's saying. He's saying, don't do that. Stop doing that. Do everything without murmuring or complaining. Now, let's make a list of what that everything might include. What's under the clause of everything? Ah, would that include serving your husband? Would it include serving your wife? Would it include your job? Would it include the traffic? What? Would it include politics? Look, listen, you're looking for a loophole. You're not going to find it. Because the word there is everything. You are Christ's ambassador. You don't have the luxury of... You don't get to do that because it's unbecoming. It's unbecoming. It's a turnoff. It's a misrepresentation of who Christ is. And if you think that the commandment to not misname to not misuse his name is about saying OMG... It may be a small part, but the really the essence of that commandment is do not misrepresent me. The name, my character. Don't say, oh, I know him. Oh, I go to the rock. And then act, murmur, murmur, causing it. And, and here's the thing about murmuring. He says, listen, it's this low-tone, discontented muttering. Right, And so what happens is, is, is that you are muttering about something and then somebody muttering leads to the next word is bickering or arguing because you, the person will say, what's up with you? What's up? What's wrong? Hey, the frown, the body language always gives a murmurer away. They're constantly shaking their head like whatever, rolling their eyes. And then that elicits out of somebody else, hey, what's going on? And then out comes the list of grievances, which will cause people to argue and bicker. So the person will say, you know, 18 people. Okay, I'm glad you asked. Because 18 people just walked right by me without saying a word. What kind of church is this? And it, you know, it starts from the top down. Okay? Because it always does, right? It always goes here. It starts with the top. Oh, I know. Well, I'm sorry. I just happen to be at the top of the leadership thing. But that's what the next line is. You know, and it starts with the top. Right? And, and so now what have we done? We've slandered the entire church, the entire church, the leadership and the pastor. Why? Because you came in with a bad attitude, murmuring about something that's not even true. I started thinking, this is one of the friendliest churches I've ever been around. And while she's talking, people are walking by going, hey, good morning. You know, just, just what? Just, yeah. All right. I think you get the point there. He says, no, rather, you need to be, verse 15, blameless 
Overlooking small stuff, getting over yourself, letting love cover a multitude of offenses, taking out the mean-spiritedness that blameless means. Not a problem maker, but a problem solver. That's who children of God are. Children of God, like father, like son, and like daughter. How is father? Father is gracious and, to the, and merciful to the, to the ungrateful. He loves his enemies. He lays down his life on a cross for people who are murdering him. And we are his children, and we need to kind of have the same sort of spirit as he does. And then, then, and then the, uh, the second word there is harmless, or uh, it says pure, but really the word also means harmless. It just means, you know, not... Uh, uh, Spurgeon again. Like sheep that not only will not devour because they, but cannot devour because it's contrary to their nature. For they have no flesh-ripping teeth to tear into people, no fangs with which to inject venom, and no stingers with which to incur harm. Charles Spurgeon, 1800s, British preacher, uh, wonderful guy. There's no such thing as a carnivorous sheep. They don't eat meat. They don't bite each other unless they're sick and they have some kind of disease. Blameless, harmless. Children of God. And when you act like that, Philippians, the lights go out. He says, you're supposed to be light bearers. You walk into a church where you can feel the the anxiety and the tension, right? Right? There's no light there. There's no warmth. And he says, that's the whole point. The church is a lighthouse. Come on in here and get saved. Everybody's in there worried about themselves and offending one another. So he says, remember what you do. You shine. You hold out the word of life. Uh, It's not something you have to try to do. It's something you need to be bearing the light as you walk with the Lord. And remember... Uh, where you are doing this. He says, and it's not very flattering. It's God's take on the world. And here it is. It's certainly a slap in the face. He says, you are in the midst of a crooked, always crooked, always wrong, always veering off the, the, the path and perverse. It means twisted or bent or warped. He says, that's the description of the world. And you're surrounded there they need you. Your friends and your family, they're in darkness. They're, they're, they've got their ear buddies in, and they're, they're channeling in all kinds of poisonous concepts and songs and all sorts of things they're listening to and watching in the world. And you have an opportunity in the church to shine light, to show them the way to be saved. And, and that will not happen when you're letting bad behavior um, go on in your life unchecked. And so, yes, uh, crooked and perverse, the world. (laughs) The Titanic, it's going down, all right? Uh, The world, the earth will never get better. Folks, we've passed the line of no return. It, as any reasonable person can see, the state of the world, we are now approaching the end time. We're in the end time. We are not in the great tribulation. When the restrainer, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the Holy Spirit, the restrainer, 
Right now, the restraining guardrails of the Holy Spirit keeps the world from tipping. But one day, he says, right toward the end, when you're seeing it happen, the restrainer comes off. We, with the restrainer, the church, is part of the restraining effort. He takes us and his presence, in that sense, through us away, and then the world goes off. Revelation 6 to 18, it never recovers. Our task right now is to man the lifeboats, not save the earth. It is not save the earth, it is save the souls on the earth. And that is why the priority is not about petty bickering or complaining or murmuring. Dear God in heaven, uh, your loved ones, your loved ones, if it happened right now and Christ came for the church right now, your loved ones who don't know him are are here to endure that. And Lord willing, they'll get saved during those terrible seven last years. But still, they're going to have to lose their lives just to bow. So is, is that worth, is it worth going at each other or being worldly or being lazy or being a carnal Christian? Because the, to the extent you are a carnal Christian, you are dimming the light. You are not holding out the word of life. That's what we're supposed to do. And I love that. Well, I just love people to Jesus. Mm, no, not enough. You, yes, love people to Jesus, but you hold out the word of life. The word of life is the gospel. It has a message. And the light that you're shining exposes and reveals the things that are staying, that are keeping people damned, right? And so we just don't do it. shine and our good deeds. And that's my way of showing. And I just never mention the word of life. The word of life is, needs to be mentioned and held out for God so loved this world that he gave his only son that whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And if you don't believe the wrath of God remains upon you, this is the word of life. This is the word of life that, that, Satan has duped the entire Christian world into changing the gospel, into taking away hell, taking away the word of life. You don't need the word of life anymore because nobody's going to die. So the gospel's changing. More forgiving than Jesus, smarter than the apostle Paul. Who are these guys? Paul the apostle said, if anybody... I don't care if it's an angel or if it's me, comes to you with a different gospel. Let him be eternally condemned. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8, eternally condemned. May he perish in hell. Who would say to you, there's no hell. And God loves everybody the way they are. And there's that, yes, he loves everybody the way they are, but he loves us too much to leave us in that condition. Let everybody who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. This is the Bible. This is gospel. This is new creation. Can I get another amen? Amen. Finally. Let it out, people. Let it out. Don't hold it back. You could hurt yourself holding back a sneeze. You know, know, those people who do that, they sneeze silently and hold it in. You're going to hurt yourself. And when God's trying to get you to say amen, you just need to let it out. All right? Amen? Oh, didn't that feel better? Felt better to me. 
And then he says, you know, last thing he wants to say to them, um, what'd you do there? No, no, I didn't move on. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> In order that I may boast on the day of Christ uh, that I did not run and labor for nothing. He's saying, excuse me, that I take a little of a, let me share my personal fear with you, is that when I stand before God and you all fall apart and this work at Philippi comes to nothing, how do you think I'm going to feel standing there with God and saying, well, God, I spent 10 years of my life, my life's work, all that preaching and teaching at Calvary Chapel Philippi, Dissolved, disintegrated. Why? They're fighting. They couldn't love each other. They got their feelings hurt. They wouldn't forgive one another, and the church imploded. And he says, How do you think I'm going to feel? I'm gonna, it's going to be a bummer. Yes, I'll be glad to be in heaven. And yes, I know somehow God is working all things together for good, but I will be bummed out. If I have to stand there and go, all of my life's work just went up. Why? Because a couple ladies couldn't put a lid on it? Oh, my word. Oh, my word. As a pastor at my heart, just I read that and went, oh, oh, oh. Don't do that to Paul. Moving on. Now, bro, you can do it. Wow, you did it. That was fast. But even if I'm poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I, I, I'm glad about it. And you should be glad too. So work hard, shine bright, and give it everything you got. That's what I'm doing. And that's what makes me happy. That's what will make you happy. Wow. So Paul's example should be ours. Now, his metaphor here is very Jewish illustration. It comes from Numbers 15. It's called a drink offering. The offerings that people brought were really to talk about, you know, worship of the Lord, who God is, what he requires, and actually, ultimately, his plan to save us. And, and I would say mostly those uh, offerings, all different kinds, speak about Jesus and what Jesus has done for us to save us. Now, the drink offering, well, you know, it symbolized really, when, when an Old Testament, when a Jew brought a drink offering, he was saying, my life belongs to you. And it was a worshipful, it was an illustrating way of saying, I pour myself out for you, God. Every drop. Now, uh, yeah, I got a picture of man, just something. To, yeah. Okay, the drink offering. Okay, so the meaning of it is the container is you and your life being poured out. Now, ultimately, Jesus was poured out completely. In fact, the Bible says that he poured out his life unto death. So really, it's a picture of what God would do ultimately through God the Son in giving his life away so that we would have life. But it's also the way that we should be and how true, listen to me, true worship of God is saying Everything belongs to you. Every drop. Because why? Because he spilled out his blood. Jesus didn't uh, hold back anything. Thankfully. It paid in full 
Jesus said. It is finished because he poured out everything. So the one who poured out everything is saying, and how much are you pouring out in service to God and for others? You know, we're kind of like, you know, um, ketchup, you know, Heinz ketchup. He pours us over and it's like, are anybody in there? You know, anybody? <laughs> are we going to come out or what? And then he gets a few drops and what does he have to do? He has to squeeze it, you know? <clears throat> You're going to squeeze it out. Come on, buddy, come on. You know, because, oh, Oswald Chambers has a devotional on this little passage, and here's what he says. Are you willing to sacrifice yourself for the work he's doing in another believer to pour out your life sacrificially for the ministry and faith of others? Or do you say, I'm not willing to be poured out or used up right now, and I don't want God to tell me how to serve him. I want to choose the place and the way of my own pouring out to decide when for whom and how much of the content spill out. I know. Who was that this time? Julie? Thank you. The Bermuda Triangle right there. (laughs) Listen to me. Come on. Paul says, if my works, if my life work at bringing people to Christ, then I'm going to see you guys in heaven because of my life's work. You know what? He says, and it culminates, and because of my faith and my work in Christ, culminates, which means my martyrdom. He says, wow, isn't that exactly what what we're always doing as Jews in the temple, saying, hey, everything to the last drop? And, And what a joy that would be to go out of life just saying, whoa, every last drop, even my own blood. Sealed on the altar of the faith of the Philippians. I seal the work with, with everything I got. What else does the guy got? He's in prison. <laughs> he says, I do have one more thing I could give for your sakes. And quite frankly, it seems like it's a possibility. And quite frankly, it brings me joy. And it should make you happy too. No, oh, don't be sad. I was like, wow, he gave it all. What? And no praise to Paul. But praise to the one. Listen to what Corinthians says. For, for Christ, uh, Paul to the Corinthians, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore, in a sense, everyone died. And he died for all. That Here, catch this. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. A call to reciprocity. He poured out everything. What do we, we, you know, Western Christianity, we do it like as a hobby. You know, it's my life. And by the way, I, you know, at number two or three, I'm a Christian as well. And, you know, I give down here when, I, when everything else is paid, then I scrape up something. You know, that's just not the way to live your life. The way to live our lives is to do the very thing we fear is to let uncork the bottle, not for Pastor Ross, not for the Apostle Paul, but for your Savior and my Savior. He's worth, I'll uncork for, I won't uncork all the way for Barb. Unfortunately, 30 years has shown that I I don't, I'm not good to the last drop that way, you know, like some coffee. 
I don't. And who does? Does anybody? All the way, in a right way, in a happy way? No. But for Jesus, I'm not considerate. Just need a picture of him in the garden. Thinking about me. Saying, I gotta do this for that guy. Or he's gonna perish forever. I've gotta do this for him. Oh, then, dude. Ask away, God. Send me to Afghanistan. Send me to Iran to preach the gospel on the streets. <laughs> if necessary, and if it were your will, and, and all of that. But why not? Why not? Why not? And then you're there with him. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just, we've been exhorted. I, I've been challenged, Lord, and uh, I've been inspired by your words and Paul's example and your example And Lord, I just want to give everything to you. We want to just pour out our lives. We don't always know what that looks like. (laughs) But show us and teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.